produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. On Monday, July 18th, Health Canada announced that it was suspending a Phase 2 trial on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy being conducted in Toronto by the Remedy Institute. CBC News reported that, according to a Health Canada spokesperson, the study has been put on hold, quote, due to concerns for participants' safety, end quote. Health Canada is also reviewing the clinical trial being conducted in Montreal by the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS. Health Canada's initial report on that MAPS trial notes deficiencies in good clinical practices and record-keeping. Also on Monday, July 18th, the organization Students for Sensible Drug Policy held its first psychedelic symposium, even had a speaker from MAPS. I attended and submitted a question in regard to Health Canada's move, what impact it might have on current and future psychedelic research. Sadly, they didn't have time to get to it. Also, sadly, MAPS had requested that their person's presentation not be recorded. Anyway, this story on the MDMA clinical trials in Canada is something you should check out. If you have trouble finding the news story on the Remedy Institute clinical trial suspension, I tweeted a link for the CBC's article. On Twitter, I'm at Doug McVeigh. You can find it on my feed. Back to the symposium. Now, we were allowed to record some parts of that symposium, so right now we're going to hear a bit from their final speaker of the day, Dr. Rick Strassman. Rick Strassman, MD, is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. He's the author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule. His newest book is The Psychedelic Handbook, A Practical Guide to Psilocybin, LSD, Ketamine, MDMA, and DMT Ayahuasca. Yeah, back in the day, uh, you know, there were other models about, you know, how the uh, you know, psychedelics worked. You know, for example, the group up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, believed that you could induce a you know, time-limited uh, you know, case of uh, you know, the DTs or delirium tremens, uh, which occurs when you, um, when you really, uh, you know, bottom out from drinking. Uh, and a lot of people would stop drinking after the DTs. Uh, and they and you know, they believe that there was enough you know, similarity in between the LSD state and uh, the DTs, um, you know that that you know could uh, you, well that that could work. I mean, it did work uh, using uh, using that kind of model. Um, and if you look at uh, you know, psychosis as a spiritual emergency, uh, which ultimately heals, um, you could give. You know, psychosis rating scales, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know those didn't strongly correlate, um, you know, with a beneficial outcome. If you believe that uh, you know temporary psychosis um, uh, was curative, uh, so oh, and Evgeny uh, Krupitsky is a colleague in uh, you say in uh, <clears throat> in. Um, in in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, um, and he has an interesting model of uh, 
you know, ketamine psychotherapy. You know, for example, <clears throat> if you want to stop smoking, um, when you're tripping on ketamine, he'll you know, bring you an ashtray with these stale uh, you know, cigarette butts and some stale coffee in uh, the ashtray, and he sticks it under your nose, and he says, is this what you want to continue? Uh, and a lot of people stop smoking cigarettes. Um, you know, so it isn't specifically the, you know, the flavor of the experience. I think the more um, important element is uh, the overall uh, uh, intensity of the effect. Um, and, uh, you know, and uh, well, so depending on the model, uh, you know, that you are educated about and that the treatment team is um, is applying, you know, then, uh, you know, the intensity, I think, will end up correlating, uh, you know, with, you know, the desired outcome um, as much as the specific you know, kind of effect. You know, so there's a lot of talk about spiritual experiences, and uh, I think you could divide them into, you know, two different types. You know, all spiritual experiences are not mystical unitive. Uh, you know, so the interactional or the interactive relational, uh, you know, kind of spiritual experience is also valid. And I'll be, you know, comparing them. You know, so the you know, phenomenology of each of those, uh, you know, types of experiences is identical. Uh, you know, whether it occurs uh, within the context of a um, you know, traditional religion or outside of it. Uh, if if it occurs you know, within a um, uh, you know religious uh, you know holder as it were, um, it's called a religious experience. And if it's independent of uh, you know traditional religion, it's called a spiritual experience. Uh, so the mystical unitive state on um, the hallmark is a you know, sense of uh, of losing your sense of self and of merging and of unity. Uh, is empty of images and of content. Uh, there's um, you know, transcendence um, of time and space, you know, which is you know difficult to you know pin down. Uh, you know what exactly does um, you know transcendence of anything really mean? Um, it's portentous. It's certain. It feels more real than real. It's uh, almost nonverbal. Um, and the you know term which applies to it being you know nonverbal is ineffable, you know. But if you read the literature, the spiritual literature, there's a lot of ink spilt over nonverbal experiences, you know. So you can approximate, you can approach nonverbal experiences verbally, um, you know. So I think oftentimes the description of the state as ineffable is either um, is either out of laziness. You just say, oh, well, that was, you know, so strong or, uh, or you know, so meaningful that I can't describe it. Or um, it's a lack of vocabulary. Uh, it's often blissful. And, you know, the paradigm is you can show a more satori in Zen Buddhism. Um, so the interactive relational state is, you know, full of content. Um, there's recognizable objects and beings. Um, the uh, your sense of an individual self is maintained or even strengthened. Uh, there's interaction and relationship with the contents of the state. 
you know, time and space, you know, continue, you know, they're warped or stretched or, you know, made unusual, but, but, you know, still there's a beginning and a middle, uh, um, and an end, you know, the mood effects are more variable. Um, it's full of information, often verbal, uh, which, you know, could be, you know, transmitted telepathically even. Uh, it, it also, uh, you know, feels more real than real. You know, so the uh, paradigm of the interactive um, relational state is in the Hebrew Bible, uh, you, know, Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew uh, biblical prophetic tradition. Um, and if you read the text, you know, carefully, you know, the Hebrew Bible, there's not one instance of a unitive mystical state in the entire text, all 22 books. You know, so the DMT state, you know, according to my volunteers and according to my own experience, is that it's interactive relational. Uh, we didn't really, you know, coach our you know, volunteers. Well, and uh, you know, keep in mind also, you know, that all of our you know, volunteers were normal volunteers. You know, they weren't, uh, you know, coming in for treatment. Uh, but but still, um, we just told you know, people to have their own experience. And uh, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your wits about you. It's it's short, it's over quickly. Um, you uh, you may think you know that you've uh, you know that you've died you know, because you've left your body, but you know don't worry. Uh, you are holding down the fort, you know. But just you know, keep your wits about you, you know, uh, and you know, come back and describe what the experience was like. Um, and in all of our you know, volunteers, only one of those you know, people had a mystical, uh, a you know, mystical unitive state, and it was a you know, fellow that was a um, religious studies major in college, was always interested in a mystical unitive state. You know, belonged you know, to a you know, religious organization you know, that emphasized its attainment. Uh, you know, so the experience, you know, was a. You know, psychedelic experience. It was mind manifesting. Uh, one of our volunteers was a nurse with a long interest or a long-standing interest in the near-death state, and she had a near-death experience. Uh, a couple of you know people underwent some you know healing of you know some you know, traumatic uh, you know, memories and experiences. You know, so it was interesting. You know, because you know most of the you know, volunteers as well as I expected a unitive mystical experience uh, because, you know, most of them you know, were also practitioners of Eastern meditation, but uh, it was anything, but, you know, so that led me to studying the Hebrew Bible, uh, you know, prophetic experience. It's an altered state, uh, any altered state in the text. It isn't only Jeremiah or Ezekiel, let's say, you know, but it could be, you know, it's anybody speaking with either God or God's angels, out-of-body experiences, inspiration, courage, um, those kinds of things. You know, so in my book that I published in 2014, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, I you know, suggest a role for naturally occurring DMT, you know, mediating the phenomenology of the you know, prophetic experience, you know, the visions and the voices. And it's uh, you know, DMT, you know, which is made in the brain, it isn't exogenously administered or consumed. You know, so there is a need to the mystical unitive you know, model. Most you know, psychedelic experiences are interactive and relational. We live in an, um, you know, we live in an interactive relational world. 
the the, um, the non-verbal nature of the mystical unitive state lends itself, you know, to abuse. You can just you know, make it up as you go along. You're saying, oh, the white light means X, Y, and Z. Uh, and I'm convinced. Um, you know, so I think also if you, you know, place a goal to have the mystical unitive state, and if you don't have it, it can be catastrophic. Uh, you know, there's a... Uh, you know, there's a case that's, you know, buried at, you know, the very end of, you know, the online only, you know, supplemental material from the Hopkins, you know, terminally ill study uh, of a suicide in one of the patients, you know, that got a, a you know, super small dose of psilocybin as an active placebo. And with all of the, you know, hype and the expectation that, okay, I've got cancer and I'm dying and this mystical experience will you know, heal me of my distress. And he had, you know, no response at all. Uh, you know, so 11 days later, he killed himself. You know, so, you know, that you know, case is described very you know, briefly uh, in that you know, supplemental material. And I think that, you know, case ought to be discussed uh, in you know, public and the things that went wrong or could have been different. I think it's uh, the case of the model you know, having an adverse effect. So what is the you know, so-called psychedelic religion of mystical consciousness? Well, let me get to my, my notes here. So it is uh, a, well, it's what first, you know, developed at Spring Grove uh, which was the state mental hospital, uh, you know, that was affiliated with the University of Maryland, you know, back in the '60s and the '70s. And I started, you know, uh, I you know, began to, you know, think about, you know, the religious aspect of, you know, the research after a conversation with Dr. Ulenhut, um, who was one of my mentors um, at UNM. You know, we were talking one day about the Spring Grove work. This was 1985, like three years before I even started my application process. And, um, you know, well, so Dr. Ullenhut, you know, was at Hopkins, uh, you know, for quite a long time in the you know, 60s. He was the acting you know, chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of, of Chicago. Um, you know, was you know the president of the American College of Neuropsychopharmacology, you know the you know the world's you know premier organization, you know for clinical psychopharmacology research. Um, so he was a you know site visitor, um, you know to the Spring Grove group um, in the early 1970s when the, when they were when when uh, when they were applying for a re- on a renewal of their uh, you know, psychedelic grant, and you know they did not get the renewal, and and I asked him why, and he said they got religion, um, and he explained you know that they were convinced as a result of their work you know that all you needed was a mystical experience, and they stopped looking you know for mechanisms of action. Uh, they you know, figured you know they had you know, made the discovery and it was only a matter of applying this, you know, panacea, you know, to any condition. 
and they kind of you know gave up science and you know became you know zealous and you know they lot and you know their you know funding was not renewed you know so this you know mystical religion has been resurrected uh with you know the Hopkins you know group and it's spreading outward you know so the you know fundamental or you know the foundational you know text is you know Bill Richards book it's called you know sacred knowledge um so he was at Hopkins well well so he was at uh you know Spring Grove and you know the title indicates its approach you know sacred isn't a term you usually think about in you know scientific discourse and your knowledge is a bit you know lofty i mean you generally when you're talking about you know science is information so it's it's premised on you know on you know the belief that there's a hardwired universal spiritual experience which underlies all of you know the religions out there uh, it it uh, you know heals and it saves and uh, you know the epigraph or you know the epigraph of you know, Bill's book is a quote from Paul Tillich. There's no you know, uh, you know um, there's no um, revelation without salvation. Uh, and you know, Bill gives uh, you know talks like you know revelation uh, you, know, you know like revelation now, um, which isn't really what you would expect from a hard-boiled you know, scientific you know, psychotherapy researcher. You know, so he is able to make these claims because of being convinced, you know, that the correlation between uh, attainment of a mystical experience, uh, which strictly speaking is, uh, you know, high scores on the mystical experience uh, questionnaire, is, you know, causative uh, as opposed to only an association. You know, so as a result of his you know, conviction that mystical experience heals, he then is able to make such statements like there is a God, you know, consciousness survives after death, you know, death is like a, a psychedelic experience, and all of those are unverifiable, they're, you know, faith-based. You know, so what is, you know, that universal religion? Um, well, it's a melange of Advaita, Vedanta, mystical Christianity, New Age, you know, beliefs. But, you know, what happens if you don't agree with the universal religion? That's kind of tricky because, I mean, you know, has there ever been a universal religion and what's new about this one? You know, so it, you know, leads to, you know, some hostility, you know, uh, um, antagonism, you know, toward the interactive relational state. And uh, it puts, you know, Judaism and its, you know, biblical tradition into the crosshairs of the universal uh, you know, tradition, you know, because you know, Judaism is, uh, it's, you know, verbal, it's, um, it's a, it's, um, it isn't universal um, at this point, I mean, in the future, perhaps, you know, but it's not now, I mean, that's quite clear, um, it's the you know, particularistic, uh, you know, so because of the incompatibility between uh, you know, Jewish you know, belief and this, uh, you know, new age kind of religion, um, you know, Bill is not, you know, friendly, you know, towards, uh, you know, Judaism. Uh, he speaks of it as, you know, foothills as compared to the mountain peaks, you know, which in a way is a you know, simple repetition of the Christian trope that, you know, Judaism is of the flesh bound to earth, you know, whereas, you know, Christianity is, you know, the New Testament, it's of the spirit, you know, transcends the flesh. You know, so in his book, um, he denigrates you know, the prophets, 
and you know, prophetic experience. He you know, points you know, to my work, the, you know, the DMT prophetic states work, and refers you know, to the possibility of endogenous you know, DMT you know, playing a role. You know that all the existence of endogenous uh, you know, DMT uh, you know, means is all of us are carrying. I mean, that's as you know, far as he takes it. Um, he he uh, you know, denigrates scripture and offers his own you know, 13 insights on doing Moses by three. Um, he glorifies Jesus, Paul, and Christianity. I mean, hence you know, that the archetype um, of Jesus appearing in trips is an intimation of the second coming. Uh, his you know, two most problematic patients, he makes the point of stating, are Jewish. And I think it is worth uh, you know, mentioning you know, that his you know, first experiences um, on psilocybin were um, were supervised, uh, you know, by, um, you know, by Hans Karl Leuner, um, who, you know, was a psychiatrist on um, Hitler's armed services. That's Dr. Rick Strassman, author of the Psychedelic Handbook. He was speaking at the Students for Sensible Drug Policies Summer Psychedelic Symposium. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Welcome back. Let's hear more from Dr. Strassman at that SSDP Summer Psychedelic Symposium. You know, so, you know, with any religion, you've got your new vocabulary. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the most you know, popular or the most you know, pervasive of these new terms is entheogen. And it makes a lot of assertions, which are all theological, which is, you know, that there is a God um, and, you know, God exists you know, within us. And you could you know, take a drug and it will generate God within you or on a religious experience. You know, those are all, you know, non, uh, you know, non-scientific assertions. Other theological based on faith. Uh, you, you know, one of the other terms, you know, coming out of the Hopkins work is, you know, drugs occasioning mystical or mystical type experiences. Uh, and I've got, you know, um, in in you know, my database um, of references, I've got over uh, you know, sixty five hundred uh, you know, papers, and only the ones you know, from Hopkins use the term occasion. There is no reason not to use the word produce or you know, cause. Uh, you know, so that's another bit of you know, jargon. You know, challenging experiences you know, came out of Hopkins. Uh, they've got a you know, challenging experience you know, questionnaire, but you know. Why not use adverse effects? Uh, you know that's the standard biomedical you know, psychotherapy model. You know, uh, you know, so adverse effects are you know mild, moderate, or severe. They're acute, you know, short term, long term. Um, you know, so you know, challenging experiences. I'm, I mean, you can have a few minutes of anxiety as you're coming on, or you could have intractable psychosis, uh, and you know, which is a you know, challenging experience. You know, so I think it really muddies the waters unnecessarily. Uh, you know, there's another you know new term you know which is called uh, reactivations, uh, which occurs to flashbacks, uh, and you know why not flashbacks? Uh, it you know, harkens back to PTSD, and I think that flashbacks. You, know, uh, you know, may be understood through, you know, looking at the mechanisms and, you know, and uh, interventions, you know, for PTSD. You know, so I think, you know, flashbacks is a good term. It's been around since the 60s. 
Um, so, and instead of you know long instead of long term effects, you've got this uh, expression of enduring effects, which is a bit more inspiring, more noble. But you know, it steps outside of you know the regular uh, you know vocabulary that most of us are used to dealing with. You know, so it's an attempt to uh, you know place you know, psychedelic research and, and practice into some you know kind of you know, precious. You know, sacred, unique category, and it's a repudiation of the mainstream, which isn't necessary because if there's one thing we you know need to keep in mind with introducing uh, your psychedelics you know back into the larger culture and specifically uh, you know the medical uh, and the psychotherapeutic is to stay within the mainstream. We don't need you know preciousness. Uh, you know, I've been you know well, so I've been. Uh, you know, critiquing uh, uh, well, so I've been you know, critiquing the Hopkins model you know, for quite a few years now, and um, you know their response um, has not been what you would call you know, measured or uh, uh, let's see, uh, you know, or you know, systematic. It's you know basically you know things like your comments or your critique is incomprehensible, it's offensive, it's slanderous, it's salacious, and I've got all of these uh, responses in writing. Um, you know, so next up, um, I figured after slanderous and you know, salacious, you um, would be heretical, and you know I have to admit, you know sometimes it you know, feels like I'm you know, Don Quixote, uh, I'm attacking you know, the windmills. Uh, but still, I think it's important to, um, you know, keep our focus. Okay, so everybody must get stoned, you know, Bob Dylan. Uh, so, you know, this is an article that is in press or just came out um, f- you know, from the Hopkins group, uh, you know, talking about ethical issues regarding, uh, you know, non-subjective psychedelics as the standard of care. You know, it's kind of hard to know where to start. Um, when this first came out, I thought it may have been, uh, a joke uh, because the distortion of what's really going on is so striking. You know, first of all, the new compounds are not called you know non-subjective psychedelics; they're called you know non-psychedelic psychedelics. We don't know what the subjective experience is like. And with respect to standard of care, I mean, what standard of care at this point in the field? And ethical issues? Well, we can discuss those. Well, you know, so what's all the hoopla about? Uh, yeah, there's a couple um, of groups, uh, you know, one at UC Davis um, and one at the University of North Carolina that, you know, that are developing compounds that stimulate the same receptors that classic psychedelics do without behavioral effects in lower animals, but still produce the same kinds of biological effects with respect to plasticity and neurogenesis. And those compounds, which are, you know, not psychoactive in lower animals, you know, seem to reduce depression, anxiety, administration of drugs in the same manner as do the compounds with behavioral effects. We have no human data yet. This is all in the animal. So I think we need to not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, the two most uh, uh, you know, focused upon compounds are, are uh, one called um, TBG, which is an ibogaine derivative and another, you know, which is an isomer of DMT. But, but you know, but the main, uh, you know, compound is the Ibogaine compound right now. 
That was Dr. Rick Strassman, a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine and the author of the Psychedelic Handbook. He was speaking at the Students for Sensible Drug Policy Summer Psychedelic Symposium. And that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. <laughs>